0: Doug ministered to us last night with that song, and I didn't want you to miss it, and you can see why. In my background, I was raised in a church where most of the time when I um, finished the worship service, I was sort of wallowing in guilt and left a sense of hopeless that I knew what I was, but I had no hope of ever becoming different. So the church wasn't really a good thing. It was sort of a heavy, bad thing. Maybe. Some of you feel that way about your past. I'm concerned about today's sermon because I want to tell you that Jesus didn't bring you here to wallow in guilt. At the same time, sometime we have to have a good diagnosis of the sickness before we can understand the healing. We have to hear the bad news in order for the good news to be good news. I, I need to tell you this, underline it, everything you hear this morning. Jesus is interested in the past only as it will contribute to you becoming in the future what you never thought you could be. He wipes away the past with the blood flowing from his cross. That's what forgiveness is all about. He doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us to use that to take us to where we've never been. With that in mind, I want to share with you a roadmap today for making choices. Choices that will lead us safely through the landmines of a society addicted to self-destructive behavior. Daily, you and I are confronted with the crossroads of making moral decisions. And the issue is, do we draw wisdom for these decisions from the secular world or the word of God? The philosophy of the secular world was illustrated beautifully by a Hollywood icon quoted in People's Magazine. And he was describing why he divorced his wife. Life is too unbelievably short to waste one day in an unhappy marriage. Notice, he is making his choices on the basis of what he believes will make him happy without considering the impact of his behavior upon his wife, his children, and upon himself. An illustration of the kind of hedonism and focus on self prevalent in today's society. But Christians are called to be different. We believe choices cannot be divorced from biblical morality without grave consequences. I met a couple while on vacation. They asked me to take their picture, and then they learned I was a minister. And the husband kind of happily told me, you know, we're on our honeymoon. After living together 25 years and having five children, he said, coming out of the 70s, marriage was nothing more than a piece of paper. You remember that era. Well, I asked him, why'd you change your mind? Well, after so many years, it didn't seem right anymore, so we decided to make it legal. And I had to think, because I don't think this guy was a Christian even yet, but but I'm convinced that somewhere in every human heart, there's an innate sense of right and wrong. You can reject it, you can ignore it, you can bury it, but this inner voice, call it conscience, never goes away. It hounds us. And we either eventually heed it, or we crash into a wall. That seems to be a law of life. Some time ago, I watched a house wrecking crew across the street. Maybe you saw it too. They tore down that old home, and I wondered how many stories were connected with it and all those kinds of things. And it took months to build that house, and it came down with this great big caterpillar in just a matter of minutes. And I thought, you know, that's a parable of what this so-called freedom to write your own rules does to life, a reputation that's taken years to build can be destroyed overnight by a scandal. A marriage as delicate as a spider web can be destroyed in minutes. Character can be destroyed by a momentary compromise of integrity, and on and on. The breakdown of the family, the breakdown of public morality, the growing violence, these are only glimmers of what's you might say are the tragic consequences of our nation having decided to reject God and reject biblical morality and we go out and write our own rules. We make our own value systems. Today, as we get into Psalm 1, I want to remind you that our Lord brought us here to point a roadmap to where we can go and become something we've never been not to look back in regret. Let's look at this wisdom, this roadmap for growing into the likeness of Jesus. A first step to a transformed life. Avoid walking in the counsel of the wicked. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Counsel of the wicked refers to those who urge us like Nike, just do it do what brings pleasure today, ignore divine laws, eat, drink, and be merry, ignore the consequences. I was listening to a psychiatrist being interviewed about widespread immorality in our country and about the Texas shooting incident, and she was asked, what's your solution? This, This was her response. Society itself is sick. I agreed with that. Then she quickly added, but religion isn't the answer. One must swim against this sickness in society by carving out our own personal values of health. That kind of sounds sophisticated, but it's nonsense if you think about it. For example, creating of that personal value system without regard to God's word is what freed the Hollywood personality to say, life's too short to waste one day in an unhappy marriage, so I'll just waltz out. Or those teachers in Florida, who were caught in compromising sexual activity and claimed their private morals had nothing to do with leadership in the classroom. If you write your own personal value system, you basically can do anything you want to do. The agenda of the ungodly is simple. Since I have only one life to live, my primary goal is going to to be to do what makes me happy, and anything or anyone that gets in my way is expendable. And you know, that's widespread in today's world. But we Christians are called to be different. How are we different? We view our lives through the eternal perspective. We have more than this world to make it all happen. And also, we have this power called the Holy Spirit that enables us to postpone gratification and put the needs of others ahead of our own. We can live transformed lives where self is not number one. Marilyn Monroe was quoted once as saying, you know the trouble with instant gratification? It isn't fast enough. And if you think about it, that's kind of the attitude today. The serendipity of making the choice as a Christian to postpone gratification, to view our lives through the eternal perspective of things, is that we, we, instead of finding bondage and wreckage, we find joy and freedom. I wanna tell you today that becoming like Jesus is the only life worth living. And the older I get, the more convinced I am of it. Because the older you are, like me, you can have tried every other roadmap. I've tried almost all of them. And you know, they're all deficient. And the one that's never proved effective is to give my life totally to Jesus Christ and have one goal, to become like him. So a first piece of wisdom From the psalmist for living a responsible, transformed life, don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. It's always a bad deal. Remember, the evil one is a master of deception. He's a father of lies. Then a second step toward a transformed life, don't stand in the way of sinners. I would offer that walking in the counsel of the wicked impacts our thinking. Standing with sinners impacts our behavior. Last summer, I spent hours at a local coffee house. I, uh, I, I kind of like to get into the heads of people, and I didn't mean to be eavesdropping, but this was early in the morning up at the, uh, Lake Tahoe. The, the, everybody gathers at this coffee place before they go to work. And I was listening to their debriefing of the night before. It included drugs, alcohol, aberrant sexual behavior. But what amazed me is day after day, their mood was almost a celebration of their freedom to act in irresponsible ways. And I I didn't want to be an old uh, guy throwing water on their fire, but I I did want to tell them, I didn't, by the way, but I wanted to tell them, uh, hey, you guys, look a little further down the road. Remember, there are consequences. Last week, there was a documentary on the last days of Elvis Presley. I love his music. But those closest to him described how his addiction to drugs and to every possible form of self-indulgence literally destroyed him. His bodyguards, his wives uh, came out with things they've never really said before. And, and, and what it re- makes his story tragic, and it kind of broke my heart to hear it, is they said he denied he had a problem and resisted any help up to the very day of his untimely death. I don't want to pick on Elvis, it's just that that's a parable of the tragedy of standing in the way of sinners, of getting involved in what the world says is freedom, that that's living, it's not living, it's death to pursue a, a pattern of behavior that goes against the very grain of our human nature that God created in us. That's not an easy way to live. That's a tough way to live. If you really think about it, there aren't that many ways to sin. It's kind of boring after a while. But it does doom a person to serious consequences. Unhappiness, restlessness, discontentment, selfishness, insatiable greed, loneliness, guilt, and so on. The facts of life that we neglect at our peril are simply we reap what we sow. God's laws do not deprive us. They protect us. They enrich us. We don't break them. They break us. The psalmist says, don't stand in the way of sinners. Don't do what the crowd does. For a Christian, Jesus, not culture, defines what's right and wrong for us. That's what makes us different. That's the distinctive lifestyle we're called to live in Silicon Valley. Third step toward a transformed life. Don't sit in the, way, in the seat of mockers. The best way to describe a mocker, a mocker is a cynic. One of our elders was commenting on how cool it is to be a cynic in Silicon Valley, to kind of be critical of everything, particularly of Christians in the church. Cynicism is a very sad disease. I I, I feel sorry for cynics, because it's caused by the fact they've rejected the truth that God is in control of history, of their personal lives, of society. They push God out of the picture, and you know what's left? Just fate, or our human potential to solve our problems. And if that's all you have, you have a right to be a city. How long has it been since you felt good after a newscast? You see, pessimism permeates the public mind of America. We feed on bad news and fear and tragedy because we pushed God out of the picture and hope has been eliminated and all we have left are the relics of our own human potential. And that's pretty scary. Can you imagine how wonderful it is as a Christian That we can approach the future holding the hope that one day it's going to pay off to live a straight life in a crooked world. That it's going to pay off to be obedient to God's laws. That we know that God and not evil are going to write the last chapter for our lives and of the world. And the last chapter of your life and mine as a Christian is going to be eternal life and joy and peace and a looking back and saying, I did it right and it was worth it. So it seems God brought us to church today to give us a a, a crossroads of choice. Psalm 1 confronts us with a choice of which road we're going to travel as we walk through the Bay Area. Are are we going to do it God's way as found in the light of Jesus Christ or the way of secular culture, which leads to death? And many times a day we have to choose which road we're going to go. The psalmist says the righteous are like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, but not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. I'm not a farmer, but I found out that chaff refers to what floats in the air after wheat has been harvested and the straw removed. It's sticky. You breathe it. Those who reject God's authority are easily blown around by every new wind and fad. You know, in our time, it's interesting Some say we're in a time of decadence, and that's probably an oxymoron. But at the same time, it's a a time of great spirituality, but generic spirituality. I believe that for Christians, the moral environment of these times should motivate us not to just wring our hands and say, gosh, God's lost the battle. Rather, it's an opportunity, an incredible opportunity. People are hungry for truth. They're hungry for moral guidelines, for power to make good choices, and they're beginning to see the impact of making wrong choices. Larry King was interviewing the cast of Touched by an Angel last uh, Friday night, I guess it was. And he asked them, what makes your show so popular? How did God suddenly get on the top list of TV shows? And I was interested how each one of the cast members said this, people are hungry for God. And they're hungry for spiritual life. And Larry kept pressing and pressing. And that's all they could say is people are hungry for God. They're hungry for spirituality. I believe that's true. And that's why I would offer to you these times are not something to depress us. It's like an incredible opportunity. Following the volcanic eruption of Mount St. Helens, the intense heat and the ash left nothing but a barren landscape. You remember some of those pictures. And one day a park employee stumbled across the lush piece of wildflowers and ferns and grasses. It took a few seconds for him to recognize that the patch of vegetation formed the shape of an elk that had been buried by the ash. From then on, naturalists looked all over the mountains for those patches in an aid to calculate the loss of wildlife. It seems the decaying animal provided food for new life. Now, if you think about it, a preacher just couldn't pass that illustration up because... (laughs) As Philip Yancey writes, long after society begins to decay, signs of its former life continue to assert themselves. Without knowing why, people cling to moral customs of the past, habits of the heart. These patches of moral green bring life to an otherwise barren landscape. That's our opportunity, folks. Our Christian faith is rooted in the hope that Jesus can and he will transform us into his likeness. Believers can be agents of change and hope, bringing new life to our barren moral landscape. Dwight L. Moody said of 100 men, one will read the Bible and 99 will read the Christian. We are being read, you and I who attend this church, and we're being read every day. Never underestimate the power of a minority who have a vision to change the world. Our executive staff went on a short retreat this last week. It was the best we have ever had. And one of the great gifts I received was to watch the Spirit of God work in each of us. And you know what we're committed to do? We're committed this year to let God transform us before we do a lot of preaching to you. Because anything we say up here, that has to be happening to us first. And I can tell you, in behalf of that staff, it's happening, and it thrills me. The good news giving me hope is that Jesus desires to transform every one of us into his likeness. And, and best of all, regardless of the past, those demons that haunt us with guilt, today his grace wants to enable us to have a new beginning, to decide to conform our will to his will. As the writer of Romans puts it, do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's what we do when we come to worship. We expose ourselves to God's truth. Bob Buford tells about his crossroads in which he had to decide what was going to be the central focus of his life. Jesus or self. Would he follow the guidelines of Jesus or those of the secular world? One thing he discovered, he couldn't do both. And neither can you and neither can I. If God's gonna do anything this year, he's gonna bring us to that crossroads. Is it gonna be Jesus or self, the world or his word? And if God's word today has struck a chord in your heart, where do you begin? Well, you can begin where I begin. Make a decision about who or what will be the authority upon which you base your moral choices today and tomorrow and next week. Confess to God those areas where self has won the battle don't get stuck there. Repent and ask for power to change direction. And then begin to saturate your mind with God's will, as the text says. And on his law, this law, he meditates day and night. One of our elders says he's decided he reads the Bible first in the morning to fill his mind with God's word before he picks up the paper with all the stuff that the paper gives him. It's a good idea. I can't describe how often the Lord has used the Bible to give me insight about a decision Or to turn me around when I'm about ready to walk off a cliff of temptation. The Bible really works. Jesus is going to provide us with the power to be transformed into his likeness this year. If we want to be. He will use you and me to bring change to society. And I want to invite you to start the journey with me. Doug put it in a prayer before the service, and I liked it. He said, Lord, by by next June, may we have a thousand stories in this church of transformed lives. I hope yours will be one of them. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, it's so good to know where we've been is where we don't have to be, that today we can become something we never ever dreamed we could be. And that's what transformation is all about. And Jesus, thank you for making it possible. For we pray in your name. Amen.